0: Welcome, fellow traveler on this rock floating through space. I'm Fred. This is my front porch. Come on up and sit a while. There are ideas to be discussed on this old set of nicely nailed together boards. Problem of Anger I want to begin by admitting there is more than enough reason to be angry. In your personal life, people may mistreat you. They may be rude, disrespectful, narcissistic, or they may treat you unfairly. They may even hurt you physically. And your anger in any of those situations is undeniably justified. The world outside of your personal life is more than enough reason to be angry. People don't understand what you want them to understand. There is corruption everywhere. There is racism, misogyny, brutality, prejudice, and sufficient income inequality to cause the most patient of us to be angry. Watch half an hour of news, and if you're not angry, you are probably not paying attention. There is cause to be angry. I get that. But here's the problem. Getting angry rarely changes anything. I, for example, have never been convinced of a new idea because someone was yelling at me. I have felt uncomfortable, and from time to time, unsafe when someone yelled at me, but I never decided to rethink my opinions because someone's voice was louder than mine, or because they could talk faster than I can, or because they decided in advance that any argument I make to contradict theirs is, quote, bullshit. Instead, I just shut down. It's no longer a discussion. It's simply a contest of volume, and I don't want to compete. A Facebook friend of mine quoted someone, but she didn't know who, and neither do I, last week. The polite man shows no fear. Anger, she argues, and I agree, is a response to fear. I have spent far too much time in my life yelling at people. I'm trying very hard to stop doing that. I won't change their mind, but I may make them uncomfortable. I may make them afraid of me, and I really don't want that. Another friend of mine asked me a couple of weeks ago, if I am peaceful or harmless because, she pointed out, if I can't hurt anyone, it's not that I'm being peaceful it's that I am physically incapable of engaging in a physical fight. I am perfectly content to accept the label harmless, and I have no wish for anyone to think of me in any other way. It's true I would have difficulty winning a physical confrontation with anyone more than three years old, and I wouldn't engage in a physical confrontation with a toddler. So, yes, I'm harmless. I won't be hitting anyone I want, however, to change the world. Can I do that without hitting anyone? Can I do it without yelling? I doubt it. On the other hand, I don't think yelling or hitting someone will change the world in the way I would like to change it either. It turns out I don't like being hurt, so I assume no one else does either. I certainly have no wish to hurt anyone if I can possibly avoid it. Getting angry and yelling is among the easiest things you can do. It's among the first thing we do as infants. There is shit in our diapers, so we yell, scream, cry, and create the most horrible commotion possible in order to change our situation. We have no words to use. All we have is noise. I understand why we scream as infants. Let's examine that quotation again for a moment. The polite man shows no fear. If someone knows who said this first, please let me know. I would be interested to see if they said anything else I like so well. Anger is a reaction to our fear. I felt anger at watching the murder of George Floyd because I was afraid he would die. He did. I was angry at watching planes fly into the World Trade Center because I was afraid people would die. They did. I feel anger because I'm afraid I could die in the same pointless way. I'm afraid someone I love might die that way. The fear becomes anger. The anger can be a motivation to try to change things, but it can't be the method of making that change. Again, I'm not going to change your mind by forcing you into a defensive posture. The moment I vent my anger at you, you feel the need to protect yourself from me. Now instead of considering my ideas, you are preparing to tell me why I'm wrong, or you are looking for a means of escape. When you hear me talking about things calmly, it doesn't mean my feelings aren't real, or passionate. Or sincere it means i want to change things i want you to listen i won't manage that if i make you afraid of me when i'm polite it doesn't mean i'm not afraid it's that i recognize my fear isn't going to change things its function is to alert me to danger and give me the energy to take action to mitigate that danger instantly When the snake begins to rattle, fear has a function. When the planes hit the buildings thousands of miles away, the fear is keeping me from doing what I need to do. I have no cause to take immediate action unless I'm in or near one of the buildings. There's nothing I can do at that moment to change the situation. The situation must, however, be changed and I have to be able to think calmly and clearly to figure out how to change it. Strength is not found in volume. It's not found in physical force. Anyone can yell. Anyone can hit. Infants do both. Strength is found in control. Rudyard Kipling said it better than I can. nor talk too wise if you can dream and not make dreams your master if you can think and not make thoughts your aim if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools Or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone. And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. And that takes me to something that seems unrelated, but I promise it isn't. Someone I love very deeply asked me a week or two ago to comment on what it is that makes me a man. They wanted me to question my own sexuality for purposes of better defining myself. I declined. I preferred to think of myself as human. After that, I stopped. I can be defined in many ways. I'm an idealist, sometimes a Democrat, perhaps a liberal, a white man, a straight man, an old man, and a podcaster. And each of those definitions narrows me. They draw a box around me to show how I am different from others. There are those who say that because I lack a vagina, I'm not allowed an opinion about abortion. Others say that I'm not allowed an opinion about racism or misogyny because I'm a white male. Here's the thing. I didn't choose to be white, straight, American, or born in 1962 to loving parents. I had nothing to do with that. Yes, I chose my liberal beliefs and my idealistic world view, but I am always open to change any of those if I am presented with sufficiently powerful arguments, facts, and evidence. At least I hope I am. I don't ever wish to become a slave to my beliefs. You would despise me, I hope, if I told someone they aren't allowed an opinion because they're a person of color, or they're female, or their sexuality is different from mine, or because of their place of birth. I see no reason things no one chose should disqualify them from a conversation. So I don't think about what makes me a, quote, good man. This is odd, I know, coming from someone who lives his life hoping that in the last five minutes, Mark Anthony can honestly and objectively say, This was a man, if you don't know what I mean. Horace's Final Five is episode 50. Listen to it. It's Fred 101. Instead, I think about what makes me a good, or not, human being. I like to believe that I have the cowardly lion's courage. Yes, I feel fear. I certainly avoid conflict as much as possible. But none of that changes who I am. I was told the other day that my life would almost certainly be better if I spent less time thinking about my fantasy worlds and more time thinking about my, quote, real life. I didn't argue. I won't. It will accomplish nothing. This, however, is my personal universe. And here I may say whatever I wish. And I do. My fantasy life is rich. It is mine. It's where the characters I invent come to life. It's where my father lives again. It's where my mother is the greatest teacher I've ever seen. It's where I can love, and it's where I can experience heartbreak just a little more safely. I have no intention of giving it up. I'm proud of it, and whether anyone else approves couldn't possibly be less important to me. It's my greatest source of joy. I live in reality because I have no other choice. I deal with mundane details that have to be handled for me to survive. I fill out the forms. I watch the black and gray water. I refill the ice cube trays and I do my best to stay in my part of the world and never venture across the lines. Sometimes I fail at these tasks, but most of the time I'm successful. When I blow it, I try to do better next time. This, however, is dull and tiresome. I spend as little time at it as possible because it misses what I believe to be the point of being alive. In the brief time I'm here, I want to experience as many feelings as possible. I want to feel love that fills my soul and makes my body tingle in strange, almost electric ways. I want to find my way through heartbreak. I want to feel pride at my accomplishments and sadness at my failures. I get only one chance at this. If there's an afterlife, I'll deal with that when I get there. But I know that I have this one. And when I've been dead for 10 million years, I will only have been dead a tiny fraction of the time I'm going to be dead. In less than the wink of an eye, my chance to experience life is going to be gone. My job is to get as much from the experience as possible and to enjoy being alive. I don't get a second shot at this. I decline to become what someone else wants me to be. Yelling at me won't change who I am. You can get me to stop responding, and you're welcome to view that as a victory if it makes you happy. Nevertheless, I'm going to be Fred. I'm going to shine in my way. I hope you will shine in yours
1: I used to think
2: Attention, you have an incoming transmission from Stargazer Central.
0: The following is a lovely comment received from one of our Patreon supporters. In the future, we hope this segment will be a voicemail. Call 480-331-9822.
2: Jenna, I thank God for you. I had an idea that something dark was going on with those people. When I saw the picture of Fred's mattress in that trailer and it was all black mold, I was concerned so I messaged him and said go ahead and get a new mattress and I, ll pick up the charge, but he was concerned that he would be making more trouble for them, which I thought that was a very weird thing to say. Then I started thinking something was going on and it might end badly. I love Fred too. He is a very kind man, and has helped me to change my mind about the way I react to things. I will always be here to help him with need, so please let me know if he needs anything, and I will send either money or whatever he wants. I was thinking about some nice bedding, soft sheets and a down quilt for winter, if he wants. Please let me know and I will send the things to you since Fred will be living there. That is a relief. You love him, and it will be so good for him to be with people who care. Did they really steal five though from him? Do you guys need an atti to get it back, or a posse to confront them? After I listened to this podcast I couldn't sleep. Just wanted you to know how much I care about Fred. Hebert was one of my first friends from Patreon, sour's Patreon, and I really liked his attitude from the beginning. Okay, please let me know how I can help him, we will do what I can each month. I am so glad he has you in his life.
0: Call 480-331-9822. just heard was the last thing I ever wrote in California. It was written so that my landlord might understand why yelling at me wasn't going to help. The following is a recent Facebook post that you may have seen. In upcoming days, I will be revealing some of what happened to me in California. You will read how the antagonist of my story believed me to be, as he said over and over again, a, quote, fucking liar. It's important to understand that, from his point of view, I was. Under the best of circumstances, I am terrified of people particularly in person this is because in person i must think too quickly act without considering my words as well as i would like and process each interaction through a series of algorithms i have been writing and rewriting in my head since i discovered in high school that i don't see the world the way most people do i get it wrong in person more often than I get it right. For example, one of the kindest, gentlest, most intelligent, and most understanding men I have ever met is named Phil Hartman. I met him only once when he drove me from my hotel to the Sarah Nimitz concert in Groveland. He could not possibly have been nicer to me. He did, in fact, help me to relax in front of the hundred or so other people over were there. My gratitude to Phil is all but boundless. Nevertheless, from the moment I got into his car until the moment I got back to my room, my mind was moving at supersonic speeds in an effort to determine what I should say, what I should do, where I should look, and how I should react to those around us. It's not that there was anything wrong with Phil. It's that I was absolutely certain I would do something stupid, embarrassing, inappropriate, or annoying. To his credit, if I blew it, he never let me know I did. I felt successful and exhausted. And Phil is a nice man. The antagonist in the story you will read and hear began yelling at me while he was on his way from california to pick me up and move me there he was having trouble with his new truck and i suggested the company ought simply to replace it since it was only a few months old it had been in the shop several times and they were unable to correct the problem he asked what the hell i knew about it and what right i had to make such a suggestion since it wasn't my truck when i asked him to stop yelling He told me that's the way he talks, and we should go to text if I couldn't deal with it. I told him I didn't want him to text and drive. He explained he could use talk to text. I took a deep breath and continued the conversation. In the following weeks, he told me that I was not what I represented myself to be online. I didn't understand why he would think that because I feel as though I am absolutely honest and genuine in my writing. My writing is, for me, who I actually am. The Fred you would meet in person will say things badly, will have none of the poise you see in my prose, and will be scared of you, no matter how nice you are. If you give me reason to fear you, I will move into myself more deeply. I will agree with your criticisms about me, such that you will have no reason to continue to yell at me, and I will finally simply shut down. It is for this reason that, much as I love you, listener and friend, I prefer to know you this way. Here I can check my work. I can be sure that I have expressed myself properly. I can feel more confident about what flows from my fingers than what meanders through my mind and plops poorly from my mouth you can't see that i look like death on a trisket. you aren't offended by my smell you can't wonder why i laughed or failed to do so when i was supposed to you can't expect me to absorb all that you have said particularly if you talk quickly process it instantly and craft the correct response. While I will be portraying Anthony Taganist, shockingly enough not his real name, and his wife Anne, also not her real name, as the villains of the piece, I want you to understand how difficult it is to deal with Fred in person, and I hope you will grant them some grace. They might have been better at understanding me than they were, but it's not shocking they didn't recognize the man they thought they knew. I still have much to do before I can write the piece. I should be spending this time to regain my health, but these words were begging to come out in the same way my insides wanted to come out when I went into DKA the other day, and there was no holding them back. I still need to recover, set up my PC and printer, put together my bed, and process all the pieces of the story. I hope you will continue to grant me your patience while I reconstruct my life. I promise the tale will be worth telling. To start with our regular list of the people you know who are the regular supporters of the front porch. So, thank you to Jenner and Studio Stargazer, Hermione Granger, Edith Keeler, Coralie Day with Scott Knight, Sherlock the Mystery Patron, Mandy, Barbara Hauser, Kevin Boyce, Joe March, Lena Miller, Mike Cooper. Bill Parkman, Judy Weinris Morris, Chris Donnelly, Corey Pluard. Claude Burt Lansden, Jesse Rogers, Virginia Rupert, Scott Shelby, Mark Rosema, Laura Engram, Natalie, Elizabeth Bennett, Zara, Robert Blomker, Cindy Mandel, Amos Stewart, Michelle Sylvester, Marley Maple Miracle, Carrie Dedeo, Ursula Phillips, Pavel Shabayev, Sarah Nimitz, John G, Christine L. Patterson, Chuck Curry, Corey, Roxanne Wolf, and Jereen. Also thank you to Zara, Daniel H., Piper K. Young, A.A. Milne, John Donovan, Stacy Height, Cindy Mandel, and Corey again. Those are our regular supporters. This week, I also want to thank someone who has not really given me permission to use his name, but he is a former student who came and rescued me from California. I can't go into much detail yet beyond someone pulled a gun on him, and it didn't stop him. Um, He also called the police so that we could get the gate unlocked and we could escape with the movers the night that I left. I am extraordinarily grateful to him, and he knows who he is. Thank you for that help. I also want to thank a couple of my Arizona friends who ensured I was going to have a place to live. Um, I hate to tell you to those two friends, but you will need a body bag to drag me out of this place again. I'm never leaving. I am grateful to all the support that I have gotten from so many people uh, in so many ways on Facebook Facebook and on Patreon, and all I can say is thank you for allowing me to continue to be alive and to do this show. There is much more to the story, and you'll be hearing it in coming weeks. Thanks again for stopping by Fred's Front Porch. A final improvised note. I would like to thank Jenner Zeno for filling in for me while I was in the hospital. His episode, Dimming the Light, was as good as or better than anything I have done in quite some time. It got an excellent response from the audience. It was accurate. It was bold. It was powerful. And I am grateful to him. Thank you, Jenner. And thank you to everyone who joins us here on Fred's Front Porch every week. We'll see you next week.